Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, greetings to all of you here at Central Campus, as well as those of you who are meeting together at one of our other regionals in uh, Airdrie, Bridgeland, and the Crowfoot Theatres, northwest part of Calgary, as well as those of you who are watching online. Well, it is so good to be uh, back with you all again. Um, thank you. Even though I'm sure there's some of you who didn't even know I was gone, so it's really good to have you back. And uh, thanks again for giving uh, me and Gwen the uh, opportunity to be away several weeks this summer and just to rest and recalibrate and be renewed in our relationship with the Lord and with each other and our family. You know, we've heard wonderful reports about our services over the summer. We've heard um, other amazing things that God is, has done through so many of you uh, in our mission trips, uh, through ministry to people who have suffered loss, and also, of course, how many of you joined together ministering to the people of our city through flood relief efforts. Thank you, thank you, thank you to our staff, to all of you who served so faithfully over the summer months in our services behind the scenes with children and youth and so forth, and also in our city and around the world. So I got word through the rumor mill that when Pastor Wayne Smeal was up here speaking over the summer, he said that he was better looking than I was. <clears throat> well, I'm not going to argue about that because being better looking than me isn't really much to brag about. What is worth bragging about, though, is that I'm a better golfer than he is. <laughs> now, trust me, I'm a lousy golfer, and I'm getting worse. My boys will attest to that this summer. But when I golf with Wayne, I get so encouraged. <laughs> like, I sometimes think I could take on Tiger Woods, you know? Like, I was out golfing with Wayne one day, and he's at the tee. He's getting ready to hit the ball when the guy in the clubhouse who's been watching him says through the microphone for all to hear, he says, uh, would the gentleman at the ladies' tee please back up and drive from the gentleman's tee? <laughs> now, if you know Wayne, you know, he can be pretty intense. And so he kind of steps back from the ball for a moment and turns toward the clubhouse and begins to glare and mutter something about taking a hike. And then he turns around again and begins to steps forward and concentrates on the ball. Well, the guy in the clubhouse isn't going to let this thing go. And so even more emphatically, he says, would the gentleman on the ladies' tee please back up and drive from the men's tee? Well, that did it. Wayne spins around and he says, pardon me, but would the gentleman in the clubhouse stop interrupting the gentleman on the ladies' tee so he can take his third shot? I love that guy. He's such an encouragement, you know. Okay, enough of that. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 25. I'm going to invite you to stand as we read a portion of this next passage together. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. For do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let us pray. Our heavenly Father, Again, we thank you for the words of Jesus here in the scriptures. 
and what it meant to the people at that day and, Lord, what it means to us today. I pray that you would um, open our spiritual eyes to the truth of your word and what it is that your spirit wants to communicate to us today. I pray that you would soften our hearts, that we might receive it, and then you'd give us the courage and the will to step out and do whatever it is the Spirit calls upon us to do. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now here in his sermon, which we affectionately refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5 to 7, Jesus is giving us a picture of the character, the attitudes, the values, and the behaviors of those people who are fully devoted to him, those who are part of his kingdom. Whether we're consciously aware of it or not, all of us are citizens of a kingdom or a society. We are either citizens of the kingdom of this world or we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And throughout his sermon here, the question that Jesus uh, seems to be asking us is, which kingdom are you really devoted to? All through this chapter, Jesus says, if you want to live life to the full, if you want to experience all that God has for you in life, then you can't have one foot in one kingdom and the other foot in another kingdom. You have to make a choice because you can't serve two masters. You can't serve two kingdoms at the same time. You are either serving the kingdom of God or you're serving the kingdom of you. In verse 33, Jesus sums it all up and he says, seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, And his righteousness. Whether we acknowledge it or not, Jesus is Lord and King, and he wants to be first in our lives. He wants to be um, the object of our highest affection. Now, the key to knowing whether you're living for the kingdom of God or for the kingdom of this world is to examine what it is you treasure. In verse 21, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, There your heart is also. Your heart gravitates or follows your treasure. For example, if you invest your fortune in a certain stock, then your heart will be there. If, on the other hand, you invest your fortune in God's work, well, your heart's going to be there. And here in our scripture lesson, Jesus gives a treasure test of sorts to help us determine where our heart or where our treasure is. The first is found in verse 19. We looked at that last time. Jesus says, if you want to know where your heart is at and which kingdom that you're really serving, look at how you're investing your time, your abilities and talents, and your money. Are you investing primarily in the eternal things of God or are you investing in the temporary things of life? Are you trying to find meaning, security, and status in this life by investing primarily in earthly treasures? Now make no mistake, there is nothing wrong with earthly treasures. There is nothing wrong with, for example, seeking to get a good education, or finding a good job, or being financially independent, or working hard, and using our talents for the betterment of man. We glorify God. We worship Him through our work. Neither is it wrong to have money and possessions, or to enjoy them, or even to save some of them for a rainy day. Jesus never said earthly treasures are wrong in themselves. He said they are dangerous. Because we might sell out to something that doesn't last. Jesus is warning us not to let earthly treasures become our idol. 
or the basis of our identity. To not allow what we have or what we don't have to tell us who we are and what we are. Gerald Mann says, we tend to view our earthly treasures as extensions of ourselves. We let our custom-made mansion, our high position in the corporation, our six-figure income, our postgraduate degrees tempt us into believing that we are important and successful. And on the other hand, we let our lack of education, our low-paying job, our small condo or apartment, and our rusted-out jalopy tempt us into believing that we are unimportant, unimportant and of little significance. And the question that Jesus seems to be asking in this first test is, can you be irrespective of what you have in terms of money or position or talent? Do you have to have these things in order to be somebody? Now, our culture says you do. But does God? If you lost it all, could you still be somebody? Jesus is implying here that if you can't, then you just failed the first treasure test. Because you are living for the kingdom of this world. A true follower of Jesus does not find his value or his identity in the temporary things of this world, but in an authentic friendship with the God of the universe. As Christ followers, our identity is based not on what our culture says we are. It is not based on what other people say we are. It is not even based on what our possessions, our trophies, our degrees, or our positions say we are. No, as Christians, our identity is based on who Jesus says we are. And he says we are his children. We are a royal priesthood. Children of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, precious children for whom he died. And we must not forget that. The truth is, this is our greatest sin against God. Our tendency to treasure the things that God created rather than God himself. To give our lives to treasure the things of earth, the earthly kingdom, rather than Jesus and his kingdom. We often like a litany of other sins and like to point them out. And yet, fundamentally, this is the one we ignore the most. It is idolatry. It is our greatest sin. That's the first test. As you look at how you're investing your time and, and your talent and your money, are you treasuring God and his kingdom first and foremost? Or are you investing primarily in the treasures of this world? Jesus' second treasure test is in verse 25. What is the source of your greatest worry? If you want to know whether you're worshiping God or whether you're worshiping earthly treasures, look at what's causing you the most anxiety. If you're worrying excessively about the temporary earthly treasures, then see it as a sign that, you are, uh, that, that these things are becoming too important to you, that they are becoming your master. They are taking God's place in your life. When you worry about earthly treasures, see it as a warning light that you are placing more trust in them than you are in God. Now, I know that we all kind of wince at that because if we're honest, most of us are marvelous at worry, aren't we? The Greek word for worry has the idea of being pulled apart in a lot of different directions. It means to divide the mind. James 
describes the worrier this way. He describes him as a double-minded man who is unstable in all of his ways. The trouble with having a divided mind is that you're unable to act positively and strongly in any direction in life. Your hopes and your dreams pull you in one direction while your fears and your anxiety pull you in another direction. We get our English word for worry from the German word virgen, which means to strangle or to choke. Have you ever been so overwhelmed by anxiety that you felt that you were being strangled from thinking clearly or constructively? I know I have, and there are times that I still do. For example, the, the responsibility I feel is, as senior pastor of, of, of our church, and also to communicate as clearly and as effectively as I can what the Lord has laid on my heart from his word and also his whispers to thousands of you at our various regionals and tens of thousands who are watching online, does at time leave me in a not-so-mild state of panic? And when it's Friday night, and I'm still waiting to hear from the Lord, let's just say I begin to feel a certain level of urgency, just a tad bit of pressure. And yes, fear and worry that I'm going to have nothing to say when I get up here, which I know a lot of you find hard to believe. <laughs> but it's a real fear that I have from time to time. And so there have been times I have found myself looking up at the ceiling at night, particularly Friday night, filled with anxiety, pleading with God for a word for his church. What does he want to say to his people out of the passage we're looking at? And you know, he has never let me down yet. Sometimes he's cut it pretty close. And I've told him lots of times that my stress level would diminish immensely if he would just serve it up a little earlier in the week. <laughs> but he's always been faithful. But I share that with you because I want you to know that I'm not speaking as the resident expert on this subject of worry. Many of you came today with deep concerns on your mind. Some of you are concerned about your finances. Others about your job situation or frustration over your job situation. Some of you are concerned about a medical report you received recently. Others of you are very upset and worried about your marriage. And then there's some of you who have much anxiety about one of your children and still others of you who have the same kind of anxiety for a parent. We know that God doesn't want us to be anxious about anything, but the truth is we're still anxious, aren't we? Many people today try to conquer worry their own way. Some people attempt to avoid it, ignore it through alcohol, narcotics, overeating, and other forms of pleasure, which give them this temporary exhilaration, but in the long run, only result in greater problems to worry about. Some attempt to kill worry in their lives with feverish activity. I mean, they're just roaring around from one thing to the next, just keeping themselves busy. People like this have become infatuated with the 21st century beatitude. Blessed are they that go around in circles, for they shall be called big wheels. <laughs> now, of course, all this activity solves nothing because it's motivated by an attempt to escape rather than face the reason for the worry and to address it. So how do we handle the pressures that come our way in such a way that we don't live with this continual fear, this gut-wrenching, nail-biting anxiety? Well, Jesus understands about our tendency to worry. 
And here in our scripture lesson, which we read a moment ago, he gives several principles for overcoming worry in our lives. And the first one is this. Face the fact that worrying accomplishes nothing. Jesus appeals to our reasoning here and he says a very important step in dealing with worry is to stop and to ask ourselves, what am I worrying about and why? The past cannot be changed. The future is unknowable. Worry brings no benefits of any kind. To put it bluntly, worry is useless. In verse 27, Jesus asks, Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Your worry will not pay the bills. Your worry will not make you pregnant. Your worry will not get rid of the cancer. In fact, it will wear down your immune system even more. Your worry won't change the decisions or the regrets of your past. Oh, sure, you, you can make wrongs right by forgiving someone or asking for forgiveness and be, by deciding today that you are going to go in a different direction. But you can't undo the decisions, the regrets of the past. Neither will worry make you younger or more beautiful or slow down the aging process. In fact, if you obsess over that, you will actually get older faster. You will become less attractive. You will be a bitter person. And people will be running from you because you're going to be a pain to be around if you obsess over this stuff. Worrying about your exams won't get you a good mark. Studying will, but worrying won't. Worrying about your teenager driving on icy streets will not get him or her home safely. You see, worry accomplishes nothing. Now let me be clear, we're not talking about complacency here, where I couldn't care less about anything, or where I don't take practical steps to do what I can do, or what I'm called upon to do by my Lord. That's just being plain irresponsible. No, you see, there's a world of difference between having a legitimate concern and doing something about it and being anxious. The reality is, without a little stress and anxiety, we'd have little ambition to do much of anything. It takes some stress, for example, to get out of bed. No, it does. It takes some stress to finish a paper or to finish a project. And it's normal to feel anxiety when we're faced with danger. There are appropriate times to be concerned and to be anxious. What Jesus is referring to here is he does not want our life debilitated by anxiety day after day. Worry can keep me, for example, from connecting with other people because I'm too concerned about what they think about me. You know, someone has said, we would worry less about what others think about us if we realized how seldom they do think about us. <laughs> On top of that, medical research has shown that many physical ailments are linked to worry and anxiety. In short, worry just doesn't do us any good. And so Jesus says, let it go. If you can do something to resolve the issue that's troubling you, well, then by all means do it. But if you can't change things, then don't fume over it or fret over it. No, face the facts and decompress. decompress. Relax in the Lord and enjoy the life that you do have. Live each day to the fullest, for this is the day that the Lord has made. We are going to rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen. In today's vernacular, Jesus is saying, don't sweat the small stuff. And realize that most things in life are small stuff. Don't spend your days worrying and asking, what if? What if something goes wrong? What if something takes place that I can't control? 
And of course it might. You can spin an infinite web of possibilities of what might go wrong in life. What if the car breaks down? What if I ask her out and she says no? Well, in verse 26, Jesus responds and says, look at the birds. They aren't panicking and saying, what if I run out of food? And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now again, Jesus isn't advocating irresponsibility or apathy here. He's talking about a joy that is found through resting in God and having an eternal perspective in life. And one of the ways that you have that eternal perspective or bring it to to, to your thoughts is by asking questions like, would I still be losing sleep over this particular issue if I knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow? You know, I have had more than my share of trials and challenges in life. And yet when they were over, I would often say to myself, I wish I hadn't worried so much. Jesus is right. One way to overcome worry is to face the fact that worry doesn't accomplish anything. The second principle to overcoming worry that we find here is to seek first the kingdom of God in your lifestyle. Look at verse 32. Jesus says, So, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things. Jesus says, Those who reject God whom he calls pagans here, they believe this life is all that there is. This world is their one and only home. They're not passing through. This is it for them. This is their one shot to get it all. This is their one shot to make a name for themselves. This is their one shot to make it to the top. Their one shot to impress others about their talents and their abilities and how wonderful they are. But you see, they have to do it without God because they've rejected him. So they're on their own. And that's why they worry. And Jesus is saying, when you're doing all this worrying, do you realize you're doing the same thing they are? They are the center of their universe. They're the king of their castle. And earthly treasures mean everything to them. And he's saying to his followers... Please, be careful that you don't chase after the things that they're chasing after and to fall into me-centered living. Be careful you don't try to imitate their lifestyle, that you need to be able to vacation the way that you want to. You know, have your kids attend the top private school or, or, or live in a nicer neighborhood that perhaps more than you can afford and to enjoy country club-like amenities in this life. Don't fall for that. Jesus says those who are part of the kingdom of this world, they seek after these things. In fact, some of them will sell their souls to get it. Don't get pulled into this way of thinking. For earthly treasures will never satisfy. If you don't believe it now, you will one day you will see how empty it really is. Instead, says Jesus, trust me and seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other needs that you have, these legitimate concerns that you have, they'll be provided. Maybe not all your wants, but your needs and concerns will be provided. You see, here's the thing. Sometimes worry comes to us because we're pursuing a lifestyle or an earthly treasure that is far beyond what we need, or for that matter, what we can afford. But we want it anyways. 
And so we overextend ourselves. We buy that home or we buy those vehicles or those toys or we go on those vacations because we deserve it. And we spend years buried in debt. Spending nights worrying about how we're going to pay for it all. If we weren't trying to live beyond our means, if we weren't trying to impress other people with these symbols of earthly success, you know what? We'd have a whole lot less to worry about. Or here's another example. We're perfectly happy and we're, perf- we're, we're, we're excelling in our work. But then a certain position opens up in the corporation. And it's appealing. And in the end, we apply for that position, not because it necessarily fits our passions and our gifts, but because that position offers us greater status in the eyes of other people. And of course, a lot more money. And so we apply. And we get it. And man, are we happy. Wow, look at me. Look at how successful I am. How good I am. A year later, we're miserable. We're filled with anxiety. We've got even less time for God or for our family. We can't sleep at night. Because if we're honest, we hate this work. And we realize we aren't wired up to do this particular work. We're not gifted to do this. You see, those who seek first the kingdom of God, they face a whole lot less stress and worry because they refuse to let a job's status or the income of a certain job trump being fulfilled in their work and being content doing what God has called them to do and gifted them to do. The point is, one of the key ways to avoid worry in our lives is to examine whether we are really seeking first the kingdom of God in our lifestyle and our work and in other areas of our lives, or whether we're seeking after the trophies, the symbols of success, the comfort, the lifestyle of the kingdom in this world. Jesus says, we overcome worry, first of all, by facing the fact that worry doesn't accomplish much. It doesn't accomplish anything. And secondly, by seeking first the kingdom of God in our lifestyle. And then finally, Jesus says here, we overcome worry by trusting in God. You know, worry is a weakness of the flesh. We cannot conquer it solely on our own. It must be done in the power of God. And all the way through this passage, Jesus invites us to trust him, to believe him with our cares. In verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? He's saying, trust me. Believe that I am faithful. In verse 28, he says, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. In verse 33, when Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God, He's really saying, seek the king of that kingdom. Seek me, trust me. And all these other needs and concerns you have will be given to you as well. 
Now make no mistake, when Jesus says do not worry, he is not saying we can sit back in an armchair, drink tea and say, Jesus will provide. (laughs) I think it's significant that the birds that Jesus makes reference to here, they don't worry about things like whether the mortgage is paid or whether they've got a good retirement plan. But one thing about birds is they work hard. They're always busy. They spend all day seeking food to eat. They're not sitting back saying, the Lord will provide. (laughs) In 2 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul says, if anyone who can work will not work, let him not eat. Even though it is true that God provides, we must still cooperate with him by doing our part and working hard. Furthermore, when Jesus says here, do not worry, he is not saying that we are exempt from our responsibility to others. And the reason I bring that up is because many ask the question, if God promises to to, to feed and to clothe his children here, then why is there poverty? Why is there starvation in the world? Well, the truth of the matter is, God has provided ample resources to feed and care for everyone, but he has called us to be his hands, to be his feet, to be generous people, to not hoard things, or to waste the resources that he has provided for us, but rather to care for and to share all that he has provided for us, especially with those in need. As you've heard me say in the past, there is so much need in our world because there is too much greed in our world. Now in Philippians 4, 6, Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This passage tells us the key to facing your fears is to pray about everything. Now let me ask you, have you ever tried really hard not to worry? How's that working for you? It's kind of tough, isn't it? It doesn't work very well because you can't stop worrying just because you try not to worry. And so Paul makes a connection here between worry and prayer. He says the best way to learn to worry about nothing is to pray about everything. The next time you're tempted to worry, pray instead. You see, your job is not to make anxious feelings go away. I mean, you can't control that, so don't beat yourself up about that. Your job and my job is when we have a worry, it is to immediately take it to the Lord in prayer, and that is something we can do. You can turn on worship music and remind yourself about the promises of God. And worship him. You can open the scriptures and you can read the promises of God. You can affirm. You can sing that our God reigns. That he is all powerful, all knowing and everywhere present. That he loves us with an everlasting love. That he has our best interest at heart. And that he is faithful and trustworthy. And that in all things our God works for the good of those who love him. We can worship him and thank him and praise him for that. And you can bring your concerns. And you can bring your concerns to God in prayer. It doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out prayer necessarily. It can be short. What is important is, is that you take it to the Lord and you say, Dear Jesus... I am just full of anxiety right now over this particular issue. And I know I shouldn't be. But I realize, I've come to realize that there's nothing I can do about this. And I also know that worrying is useless. 
Lord, all I can do, the only way I can deal with this anxiety is, is, is I got to place it in your hands and I'm just placing it in your hands. I'm letting go. I'm letting you take control. God loves it when we come to him with that kind of a spirit and we ask him for his help. Now, by the way, Satan, our enemy, will do everything he can, will, he, everything he can to convince you not to do that. He'll whisper that God isn't interested in hearing, you know, your smaller concerns. Oh, he might hear the big, big ones, you know. But not the little stuff. Nah, he's got no time for that. He'll tell you that your prayers, you know, really don't make a difference. Because you have too little faith. Or, or because you don't really know how to pray right. You see, there are these formulas that you need to follow. Or that you don't pray long enough. Or that you're not worthy to pray. He'll send those accusations to you any time of day. And I'm telling you, don't buy into his lies. Because if you wait until you have enough faith, or what you think is enough faith, if you wait until you know how to pray right, or until you think you're perfect, you're going to be in glory. No, just pray anyways. Because prayer changes things. Prayer moves the hand of God. Prayer changes you. And God will grow you in your prayer life as you come to him and pray. You see, prayer defeats worry because prayer trusts in a God who is able. Max Lucado has said, no one can pray and worry at the same time. Let's be honest. Many of us have pressing needs and serious problems in our lives that ravage our lives because we simply don't come to God and ask him for his help. And we don't do that because sometimes, well beneath our surface layer of faith and trust, we don't believe that God is the power to do anything about them. Let me ask you, how many of you have at least one problem in your life or know where to get one? Okay, yeah. How many of you are sitting next to your problem? <clears throat> Don't put up your hand, okay? Don't put up your hand. Anyways, whatever it is, keep that problem in mind as I continue. A lot of people think that the reason that they worry is because they've got this certain problem. And if they didn't have this certain problem, they wouldn't need to worry anymore. Well, that's an illusion, friends, because problems come and go, but worry remains. The reality is worry is not the direct product of my circumstances. Worry is the direct product of my beliefs. I mean, how is it that two people can be facing the exact same crisis and yet one will be calm and assured and their hope will be in the Lord and the other will jump out of an office tower. You see, worry reflects our convictions and our beliefs or lack thereof. The reason we worry is because we are convinced that our problem is bigger than our God. And so here's Paul sitting in prison. For all he knows, he may be executed the next day. He knows he's on death row. He just doesn't know when. So, I, I mean, I want you to put yourself in his situation. He's waiting for his execution. There are people outside of the prison who despise him and are trashing his reputation. And yet he writes these words to his fellow Christians. Do not be anxious about anything. I mean, how does he do that? Because he's convinced that the eternal, all-powerful God is next to him in that prison cell. He's convinced that he is loved and not alone. That's all that matters. You see, friends, peace comes in knowing 
that our Lord remains constant in a world that's spinning out of control. The fact is God is more than capable of handling any problem that we bring him. Creating the universe isn't too great a problem for him. Neither is raising the dead or calming the seas. Nothing is too difficult for God to handle. But he's waiting for us to acknowledge his presence and his power and to ask for his help. Genuine prayer is based on the knowledge that God is absolutely faithful. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 1. I know in whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Notice Paul says he is convinced that God is able to guard what Paul has entrusted or committed to him. In other words, God doesn't promise to keep what we haven't committed to him or surrendered to him. In other words, what you hold on to, what you choose to lug around on your back day after day will always be the area of your worry and anxiety. So let's say, for example, that you get on your knees and you say, Lord, I'm going to give you all my life except my finances. Then expect your worries to be in the area of your finances. Count on it. Well, let's say, Lord, I'm going to hand everything over to you except my business or my job then expect lots of anxiety, lots of challenges in your business or your job. If you say, Lord, I'll hand everything over to you except, (laughs) you know, this, this certain dating relationship, then look for anxiety, disappointment, frustration in your dating relationships. And that's why Paul doesn't say, I'm thinking about the possibility of maybe being committed. No, he says, I'm all in. He says, I'm committed. It's in the perfect tense. I've done it. And that's why, while he's still in prison, facing execution, he's able to say, be anxious about nothing. That's why he's able to say in Philippians 1.18, yes, I continue to rejoice. And in verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says, I rest happily in the Lord. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. I don't have all the answers to my problems and quite frankly, I don't need to know those answers because whatever challenge I will face... I am not facing it alone, for he is with me. You see, friends, the issue of worry goes right back to what we talked about at the beginning of this message. It makes all the difference in the world who it is we're trusting in. Worry and trust are opposites. When we're trusting God, we're not worrying. When we're worrying, we know there's an area in our lives that we're not trusting the Lord in. I'll close with this. When our boys were young, one of the games that we would play is I would take turns with each of the boys, throwing them up into the air, and then catching them just before they hit the ground. I was always amazed at how relaxed they were and how each time they would say, do it again, Dad, do it again. I mean, they'd want to play that game until I was completely exhausted. And I remember thinking, man, if that was me, I wouldn't be screaming with delight. Man, I would be filled with terror. So why were my sons so relaxed, even 
when they were put in a position of being totally out of control? Well, the answer is, you see, we had a history together. We played this game many times before, and I only dropped them once. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I never dropped them. Rod Cooper says, we have a choice in life. We can focus on the problem or the problem solver. We can worship or we can worry. We can wrestle with our problems or we can rest in the character of God. The choice is ours. Some of you may feel as if you're free falling without a parachute. Some of you feel like you're up in the air and you're not sure what's happening. You're not sure how you're going to land or even where you're going to land. What I would say to you is this. Remember God's faithfulness in your life in the past. You have a history together. Think of the time in your past when you didn't know how you were going to pay the bills. And yet God provided in his time and his way. Think of the time that you were in a horrible car accident or maybe diagnosed with a serious illness. And you, didn't, you weren't sure if you were going to live to see another day. And yet God touched you. He saved you. He spared you. And you're still here today. Think of the time you, you didn't think you could pass that course of studies. You're pulling your hair out with anxiety. You didn't know whether you're going to make it through that entry exam. Think of the time that you thought your marriage was over and God stepped in and he provided a way. He provided what you needed. Think of all the little miracles. Think of some of those amazing miracles along the way that just took your breath away. And you found yourself worshiping God for his faithfulness. You see, you have a history together. And then I would add this. Do what he asks you to do. But even in the midst of doing so, relax in him. Knowing that your life is in his hands and that he has never dropped you before and he won't drop you now. Would you bow your heads for prayer? Many of you, I'm sure, are way down right now with at least one significant burden or area of concern. It may be a health issue, a marriage issue, a financial issue, a relational issue, a family issue, a work issue. You know what it is that's weighing you down, keeping you up at night and robbing you of joy. To you, it feels like you're carrying this huge burden on your back. And it's just not going away. You have a choice to make. You can worship the Lord, surrender to Him, or you can worry. You can just keep on carrying that burden around. I'm going to give you an opportunity to unload that burden right now by just having you come up here to the altar, spending some time talking to the Lord about what's on your heart, and then pulling that burden of care off of your back and laying it down at the feet of Jesus letting it go and surrendering it completely to him, believing that he will keep what you've entrusted to him. 
would ask you to come. Get out of your seat. Make your way down here. And then after a time, I'm going to pray and we'll be dismissed. Just come. Come as you are. And release that burden to Jesus. Heavenly Father, I just want to praise you for these words of Jesus here. Lord, I'm certain that there are people in this place, and particularly those who have come forward, who are in bondage to worry, who are being strangled by the lies and the accusations of the enemy. And so I bind Satan and his work and accusations in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you will help us all to resist the devil in the name of Jesus and to experience the freedom and the victory that you came to bring. Fill our mind, Lord, with your thoughts, with your promises, with your reminders of who you are, what you will do for us and what you will do in our lives if we will but surrender our lives totally to you and to treasure you above all else. Teach us every day, Lord, not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, to present our requests, our cares, our burdens to you in believing prayer. I pray for those who have come to this altar, Lord, that they will now release, that as they now release the the burden that's strapped to their back, as it were, Lord, as they let it go, as they leave it at your feet, that you, in turn, will fill them with your unspeakable peace, with a sense of your presence in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that as we leave this place, you will remind us daily by your word and your spirit that no matter where we are, no matter what we face in life, you are with us. You love us with an everlasting love and that you are completely trustworthy. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Will you please stand? I'm just going to say to those who have come forward, there are prayer partners that would love to pray with you. Do not feel the need to rush away. If you would like someone just to follow up with some prayer, please stay where you're at and someone will be praying with you before you go. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father,
the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So good to be back with you all. God bless you. See you next week. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.